Hi, I'm Susan Moore, Community Engagement Manager with IIBA. And I'm Scott Bennett, Manager of Business Analysis with the International Institute of Business Analysis. And this is Business Analysis Live. Thank you for joining us today. We've got an exciting topic lined up for you. Our topic today is requirements engineering and business analysis. Susan, you and I had a conversation before we got started here about your experience with the term requirements engineering. Why don't you tell the audience about that? Yeah, it was something that I discovered a while ago when I used to work in banking and finance. Um, and we were building systems from the ground up and requirement management was really important because we were never going to get another opportunity to build that system from the ground up. And so through my research, I discovered IREB, which is the Requirements Engineering uh, Board, the International Requirements Engineering Board. And I got really interested in, in what they were doing with more detailed requirements and requirements management. And uh, so I was really excited when we decided to talk about this topic today because it's a, a little something that I bring with me from that more technical past of mine. <laughs> Absolutely. So we do have a guest with us today from IREB. Let us introduce you to Stan. Welcome, Stan. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Susan. Thank you, Scott, for letting me join the session today. So I'm really happy to be here. Um, Thanks for that. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> so for our viewers, we are live. So if we make a mistake, you're going to see it. But it gives you the opportunity to ask questions. So please put your questions in the question box. And we're here to answer those today with Stan. So Stan, why don't you tell our viewers a little bit about your background and about IREB? Yeah, sure. So um, currently, I'm working for IREB as the Managing Director. And um, I've joined IREB four years ago. And IREB... Um, in general, as Susan already mentioned, is the International Requirements Engineering Board. And the idea of um, IREB was um, somewhere born in 2006, when several people from research, from the research from the university, but also from industry came together and thought about, hey, we need to um, skill up the people outside in the software industry somehow to know more about requirements engineering because we need to set up solutions that have a high quality and quality not only begins with testing, but it starts directly when talking about requirements, when talking to users um, about their skills. And that's where um, the IREP um, was born. IREP is a nonprofit organization. Um, we are sitting in Germany in Karlsruhe and um, we are focusing really on the discipline of requirements engineering and to create a broader knowledge on this topic just to make solutions um, somehow better um, and more qualitative um, for, for the outside. So that's a brilliant idea. That's great. And how long has uh, IREB been around? When was it first founded? Um, it was founded in 2006, um, the, the um, International Requirements Engineering Board. And um, so it's already around since several years, um, really. Yeah. So it means um, during this time, we have established the um, CPRE, um, Certified Professional for Requirements Engineering. Um, that's probably, Susan, what you have looked for when searching about requirements engineering. And um, so this is on the, the major project, uh, product in, in, our, um, in our organization. Great. 
So for those of you who aren't familiar with the term uh, requirements engineering, we have a definition here. Um, I'll put it up. There's a lot of words here. Stan, why don't you tell us uh, what you define as requirements engineering? So for me, requirements engineering is really about um, eliciting requirements. This means understanding user needs on the one hand, um, getting out of the users and stakeholders, what are their needs and what do they really need that needs to be solved by software and documenting these requirements in a proper way that on the one hand, the um, stakeholders, mostly business areas or um, business um, organizations, that they understand and that we can create a kind of shared understanding with them. But also, on the other hand, that we have a kind of input for developers and our architects and developers that they are able to shape the best solution out of it and to um, implement um, a software that is really needed without um, finding some miracles um, in, the, in the very end. And what comes on top of this, for sure, if we talk about requirements, I mean, we all know that requirements are changing continuously because um, business is changing, people forget something, um, there is another competitor coming up with some several new features and so on. This means we also talk, need to talk about managing of requirements and talking about change management and how to handle requirements, looking for the um, impact that is really done on, on the requirements. And um, this is requirements engineering in my perspective. Uh, what what I've always been curious about is why requirements engineering. You know, we we kind of laughed. Why not requirements corralling or requirements something else? Why 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 do you use the term engineering? Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting question. So engineering is more or less coming from the idea of software engineering because um, when when looking at software, it's mostly an engineering discipline and. Um, when talking about requirements, we also um, thought about that this is a kind of engineering because you need to be precise when documenting requirements. You need, we need to, as, as mentioned, we need to create a kind of specification that lead for architects and developers later on having something that they can really work with and that they can develop the, the right and fitting solution for, for their um, customers and stakeholders. That's where the idea of engineering came from. Okay, great. And just a reminder for those of you watching live, please put your questions in. We will get to them shortly. Uh, it's an opportunity for you to uh, get your questions answered. Um, Stan, we were talking a little bit earlier um, about the industries where requirements engineering are used. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, absolutely. I mean, in, in, in theory, in a general, requirements engineering can and should be used everywhere. But um, um, for sure, I mean, requirements engineering plays a major role in, in all these areas um, where you have an impact on people or on human beings. So, for instance, in automotive industry, in the um, aviation, in medical domains, um, and so on. So, um, let's um, look, for instance, in the in the automotive industry, where we also have a major. Um, or major customers um, that they need requirements engineering because the automotive industry, um, especially today with autonomous driving and so on, you need to define your requirements properly. So it's and there most often they are not only textual based, they are using models, they simulate models. And um, this is something where you need to be somehow precise and you need to also need to know 
when you are doing a change because you need to whatever adapt certain things um, within your system um, and you need to know what is the impact so this means here really comes and also a kind of traceability into place that you are um, quite sure if you change a certain requirement or if you change some some measures on a requirement that you also know what what is the impact outside and at the end what is the impact to the user to the driver to a human being okay so it sounds like precision accuracy that's really what this is about is making sure that you you've got that accuracy to make sure you're you're doing things that could potentially have some negative impacts if you don't get them right absolutely and this could be mankind, but this also could be financial stuff and all those things. So if you're looking to the um, financial domain, I think also here there are a lot of regulations that need to be considered when um, talking about or when, when developing systems. And also here requirements engineering um, needs to look on not only on stakeholders as human beings, but also on stakeholders like um, regulations, laws, and so on that need to be considered when defining the requirements for a system and um, at least making stakeholders somehow aware of this kind of regulations if there are some some conflicts with requirements from a human being with, um, for instance, um, um, requirements that are coming from, from a regulation. Okay. You know, as as you're talking, I, I'm I'm thinking about you know my first exposure to requirements engineering was because I was in a financial and thus a regulated environment. So, ensuring that that um, that we were passing transactions correctly between customers and banking institutions was important. Um, but I'm also hearing, I think, that there's also almost like um, a, a concern with ethics and humanity and the people side of this. So while I typically think of these as system changes, it sounds like requirements engineering also factors in, well, well there are human uh, humans that could be harmed or helped through requirements as well. Is that kind of a, an, an element of requirements engineering? Absolutely. So, in my in my perspective, when I when I work as a requirements engineer, um, I don't have any let's say issues with um, killing people with when when defining wrong requirements. That was a good thing. Um, so I was working in telecommunications domain, and what could happen is for sure that the bill was not correct, that some features are not available anyhow. But most often or at the end we are working with people and we, we are working with human beings and if you develop software for such people it doesn't matter if it's a sales system if this is a customer care agent or whomever they also have fears they also need to go this change transition i mean you know this from from business owners because you are the step before that you need to um, make people aware of when change happens that change is not always bad. That change can also um, give some some new opportunities and so on. And this is the same when developing software. If people are used to their system, doesn't matter how bad the system is at the moment. If there is something new, they have some fears. They have some troubles in making things differently um, because there's always a kind of change that will happen when we introduce a kind of new software. And this needs to be covered right in the beginning, in my point of view, because otherwise, um, when you just ignore such such um, topics, then this um, software will somehow not be used at the end. Okay. 
So it sounds like requirements engineering, probably doing a lot of thought up front, a lot of requirements up front. Do you encounter projects that are in an agile setting? Absolutely, absolutely. So um, funny thing here, um, when I've worked in um, as a consultant in industry, um, in the very beginning when the organizations were trying to move from a plan-based approach to an agile approach, so they just thought, hey, we don't need this requirements engineering stuff or testing stuff and whatever any anymore. Just put um, a bunch of people in a room and um, they know what to do and um, then everything will um, work out probably and fine. But <laughs> big surprise, that does not happen. And um, here, hardly um, most companies, I think they learned step-by-step step that still the skills are needed, still skills um, for requirements engineering, for business analysis, but also for testing and so on, they are still needed. Maybe in another way, maybe in a kind of other frequency, maybe in another weight, um, because at the end, what we are doing as requirements engineer, um, requirements are, we, we have to consider a kind of value orientation. So what we're doing with requirements, we document certain things. We want to create a kind of awareness, common and shared understanding to reduce risk. And this is exactly what should be done in agile environment too, because you have um, several user stories, for instance, that need to be discussed. You need to create a shared understanding. And here as well, you need a kind of at least tiny documentation if the development is really done in-house. Most often, development is not even done in-house. And this means the more documentation you need, because this is a kind of um, contract with, with some, some vendors that they are knowing what needs to be developed and that you have some kind of um, checklist and checkpoint um, to, to make your tests afterwards um, against. And this is really um, something in, in my point of view um, that is really also required in, in agile. Um, approaches. Yeah, as, as we're talking about this, I mean, we're talking about how how requirements or the outputs, the, the results of those, what I'm building as a result of those requirements are impacting humans. But then there's also the artifacts themselves that we are building are being shared with other humans who may not be in the same location that you are. And more and more, we are a world of you know, I might have developers in one part of the world and testers in another part of the world and customers in yet another part of the world. And, you know, I know that many of our agile frameworks suggest we'll get everybody into a room and it's just not possible. Yeah. And sometimes I, I just I think that when organizations introduce agile into into their um, working environments, they don't often consider where the people are. How can I make sure that everybody has what they need in order to do their work? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so requirements engineering, I think is um, particularly for systems development is, is, you know, a very necessary part of in reducing risk and providing people with what they need. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. And this does not mean, uh, from my point of view, that agile approaches are not really meaningful. They are, yeah, completely, um, because you can concentrate maybe first on things that create value, that you don't um, develop the whole bunch, that you don't have to define the whole bunch of requirements or the whole system at once. So you can focus on certain things that creates value for the business 
and then you define step by step. And um, I mean, the efforts are somehow a bit more linear than that. You have a big upfront effort, but at the end, this job needs to be done. Yeah. 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 Let's see. All right. So, what what do you think our audience wants to know today about requirements engineering? Let's see. Um, so if you have, so for you, for those of you that are listening to us today, have you heard of requirements engineering? What do you know about requirements engineering? We've got, we've got questions for you. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you have questions for us? That's the question. <laughs> I, I did see a comment here from Taya, I believe it's pronounced. Um, good to see you here, Stan. <laughs> I see. Yeah. <laughs> Long time ago, we of course we had a set. Ah. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. I recently I have seen a couple of IIBA chapters uh, and some folks that we know of, uh, you know, that that we've also had here um, as guests doing some things with IREB recently. So there's a lot of synergies between the requirements engineering and business analysis communities. So, for example, I I think that you guys are part of maybe there's um. There's a lot of things going on in Poland these days. So I noticed that I see lots of speakers yeah. from Poland. So tell us a little bit about, you know, requirements engineering. I, I will say that it, it seems to me that it has been more focused in Europe. Why, why Europe? Is it just because that's where you're located? Um, probably, yes. Um, I mean, for, for sure, we are located in Europe and um, our, our, let's say, most impactful market is, is Europe, but on the other way, um, on the other hand, if you look on the um, countries we are serving for or with, with Arab and especially with the CPRE, um, we are currently in um, 96 countries worldwide um, with about um, 70,000 certified people um, out there. And um, so it's, it's not only Europe, but for sure, if you look at the figures, and they are also freely um, um, transparent on our website, um, you can look at the statistics, then you see that for sure the um, European market is the most, um, is the, um, with, with the most impact. Um, we, we also were wondering why, for instance, in the US or in Canada, um, that there's not this um, part of how to deal with requirements engineering. I'm not sure if this is just um, because we are too far away. Um, on the other hand, if you look on our website, there's a lot of traffic really coming from the US and from Canada. And I think people are interested in this in this area. And um, they are also um, um, downloading our um, handbooks or our syllabi. So this means there is a kind of interest. Maybe they are not um, that um, um, interested in our certifications, but it, as, as mentioned in the very, very beginning, um, as we are a nonprofit organization, we are focusing on just spreading um, around the world the idea of requirements engineering as just to create kind of awareness that requirements engineering is necessary. And um, if this is the way it goes, it's also fine for us. Yeah, I know that I have been, um, I, I have gotten the iRev magazine for seems like for years. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I've really, I've enjoyed it. And it is, I mean, it is a detailed 
um, you know, exploration of each of the topics. But I think that's what makes it really great. So if you if you geek out a little bit about requirements management, and that is clearly me, um, because I, I do love, I've built a couple of requirement management tools. I love all that stuff. So, you know, the, the iRev magazine is, is good stuff. Lots of great topics. And, you know, as we're talking here today, there's there's just uh, this is really requirements engineering is really a very specialized skill set within the the broader business analysis uh, body of knowledge yeah. is yeah, what I'm cool. learning. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and and during my um, work as as a um, consultant in requirements engineering, I also often have worked with with business analysts because um, I mean look at for instance the automotive industry. If you have some, let's say, new strategy for um, your your entire business and how you want to sell your products, your cars, for instance, with real agencies, or that anyone um, could could sell this product, this is really something um, where you need someone who has some strategic um, analysis skills, who's going into the details, talking to business, and um, looking at existing processes, how they could be defined, or how are they working. And look what could be could be done a bit better, and in this is kind of way. And um, on the other hand, if at a certain point in time such people want to support the business, for instance, a sales um, um, consultant or um, someone who's who's working um, at the at the um, for cars, at, and here we really need a kind of skills in the part of how to define systems because if it comes to the place that you want to support certain business um, business processes by IT, I think here really the interplay of business analysis and a requirements engineer comes into action. What I have done um, quite often when in, in the telecommunications industry, for instance, when a new sales process was designed by a business analyst and I was talking to the business analyst, hey, what do you, um, what do you think? needs to be done at this and this and this step, how can this be supported by a new um, piece of software and so on. And I think here we have quite nice synergies um, in, in, on the one hand in our skill sets because we are doing similar things, maybe with another focus, but um, we need to work hand in hand and we need to work together at the end to come up with, a, with the best digital solution at the end. Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing that that I'm, I might consider requirements engineering if I am, so there's a, a title here, at least in the US, business system analyst. And so they typically, they know the system or systems in their area. And, um, and so if you are somebody that is a more technical business analyst, a business systems analyst or something, it sounds like this requirements engineering skill set could really be a way that you could enhance the work that you're doing. Um, it really builds on to what you are doing with your business analysis skills. So Susan, we are live and it seems like our question feed stopped about 15 minutes ago. Oh my gosh, is that why I'm not seeing anything? Well, we got comments up to uh, five minutes after we started. Um, so oh I'm just gosh. gonna mute myself and see if I can see any questions on the live um, on my phone here. Um, Let's see. Well, here I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna 
get my iPad out. Okay. You know, this is this is the fun. I was wondering what the heck is going on with our comments today. Um, so Stan, I don't know if you view StreamYard, but this seems like some of the fun things that happens in StreamYard every <laughs> once in a while. They just stop. Uh, they just stop sharing comments. Let's. They have see. to look on their requirements, probably. <laughs> I know. We need to. LinkedIn, you need a requirements engineer. Oh my God. I've got one here. Um, okay. Is there a difference between user requirements and system requirements? Well, for me, it's in, on another level. For user requirements, um, we talk about what, what is really desired by, by a user for a user interface functionality that is required by a user. And um, so if you talk, for instance, let, let's use Netflix, for instance, um, as, um, as a system. Then you have a user who is searching for movies, who is um, um, adding something to a playlist, who wants to pay something. These are all user requirements. System requirements are on another level, a more detailed level. So system requirements here are more on whatever, um, how the um, uh, connection um, is established. What is um, really um, the um, um, scalability of systems? Um, how can I... Um, take a kind of resilience um, with my systems. How can I, um, what kind of data needs to be stored um, from a user um, um, to create this kind of watch list that the user wants. So this means you, you're going to break down the user requirements into more details to see what is this really, what is then really needed by the system or by system components um, to implement this user requirement. Okay. And we had talked earlier about uh, functional requirements versus non-functional requirements. Um, and you described it in a way that I have never heard before. So when when I when I talk about non-functional requirements, um, I typically have a checklist that I go through. Um, can you describe for our users what, what you look at from a requirements engineering perspective for those non-functional? So when we look at requirements, um, we differentiate three different um, categories. One thing is functional requirements. I think this is pretty clear. It's about functionality that is provided by the system. On the other hand, non-functional requirements we don't mention. We say um, this is a kind of quality requirements because non-functional requirements can be, in our point of view, quality requirements and constraints. A quality requirement um, in our um, definition is something that is really um, shifting or lifting the quality of the system. Could be performance, availability, security, reliability, whatever. Everything that is related to a quality of the system. If you um, look to the ISO 2510, then you have also a set of quality criteria that is for a, for a system or for a system in use. And this is when, when we talk about quality requirements. In addition, we have constraints and constraints are requirements that somehow limit the solution space. So for instance, that we need to consider that anytime um, a certain whatever hardware or a certain um, um, operation system needs to be used or a certain framework needs to be used for the development. These are kind of, a kind of constraints and they um, are necessary um, that they are met by the given functional and quality requirements. So this is the um, differentiation. I think, um, especially for quality requirements, this is quite quite nice because there are existing um, frameworks that are also standardized. Okay, great. So before we started the session, we had a record number of people register for this. I'm wondering, Susan, have we broken uh, 
in uh, LinkedIn. <laughs> yes, that's in fact what happened. Good job, Stan. What requirements engineering has broken the internet today. <laughs> so LinkedIn has to look on the scalability of their systems. <laughs> <laughs> or it could be a StreamYard issue. Um, but so there's a there are a couple of questions for whatever reason I'm not able to get all the way back in our comments. But um, so a couple of questions that we have and it's funny because you know as we talk about requirements engineering I hear so clearly some of the some of the issues that I have experienced as a business analyst so again there's a lot of overlap here um, in the skill sets and and therefore I think there's a lot of overlap in, in you know our experiences whether it's on the business or technical side but we had one question around you know stakeholders don't always speak up when you are eliciting requirements typically they've got something to say when you've reached the end and you're in testing so what are some of the ways or, uh, that requirements engineering might help in that scenario where you've got people wanting to give feedback at the end i mean th this is one of the most tricky tasks in requirements engineering being honest to get um, really the, uh, to, uh, first, to identify the right stakeholders and second, to let them speak out. And um, in, a, in requirements engineering, we have different um, techniques for eliciting requirements. So it's, um, there are several ones for, like brainstorming. Um, it could be kind of interview that is done. Um, this could also be some kind of crowd um, analysis um, that will be done. And it anytime somehow depends on what kind of requirements are you eliciting. So we um, also use the Keno model um, when talking about requirements to see what are really requirements that are some kind of delighters, dissatisfiers, and so on. And based on the, um, on the type or the classification from the Keno model, what kind of requirements um, we are talking about, then we also use different kinds of techniques for the sitting requirements. So for instance, um, if we want to search for requirements um, that the people are mostly not, um, not, not talking about, for instance, because it's just their daily work, it's, it's, it's in their blood. So then we need to kind of observation techniques and so on to just see what is really what the user is doing and um, to um, come to these requirements. Right. Okay. Great. Susan, any more questions that have popped up through the uh, devices that we're trying to get the answer or questions on? <laughs> oh, you're on. I see Susan has. Yes. Well, because I'm trying to manage all of these different devices here. So let's see. So non-functional is related to scheduling, time related that does not impact the functionality of a system. Let me see. Oh, no, I think this was just a comment. Um, so where do you gather functional requirements from? How do you make sure that, that you gather all of the necessary non-functional requirements? Non-functional or functional? Um, I think this one is not, I, so there was a lot of questions uh, around non-functional okay. requirements. Yeah. So what, so maybe just, I know we talked about quality requirements, which by the way, I think is a, frankly, it's kind of an easier way to understand what non-functional is. What, 
what are the ways that you collect those with requirements engineering? So um, for, for quality requirements, um, I will come back to the um, term quality requirements because when we are talking about quality requirements, um, I think a good idea is having kind of checklists. And this could be the quality model of, of ISO because they provide um, several categories and within these categories, they have different aspects um, that are considered by this, by this quality. And here, um, at least as a requirements engineer, you have something at hand to talk to the people and ask them, hey, um, do we need to something for interoperability? Does the system has to run on, let's say, different platforms? Or what about scalability? What about um, the performance of the system? Um, what is, um, for instance, the, um, the, um, the, the time that a certain functionality has to respond to the user? And this is for each and every requirement. You can ask these questions if there is some, um, some quality behind. And um, here, this is a kind of, let's say, for, for me, it's, it's more a kind of checklist and um, using this quality model and um, um, just going through your um, functional requirements and to check if there is some kind of quality aspects that are needed. Could be reliability, could be um, response time, um, could be um, whatever. Okay. And Stan, you had mentioned before we started this uh, broadcast today that there's a... Um, a glossary uh, that you've got in your website. What we'll do is when we publish this on YouTube and other resources, we'll put a link to that glossary. So yeah, people perfect. can look in there and, and understand some of the terminology that we're talking yeah. about today. Yeah. So yeah. Another, another question we have is what is the impact of AI, do you think on requirements, the requirements engineering practice? Well, this, this could be answered in, in, in two ways um, because we differentiate on the one hand um, AI for requirements engineering. This means how can um, artificial intelligence somehow support requirements engineer in his process? And on the other hand, um, what needs to be done for or during requirements engineering when designing systems with artificial intelligence? Maybe coming back to the to the first um, to the first part. I think this was was also, was also meant. So supporting requirements engineering um, with with AI. I think. In the future, um, AI could support us in defining um, requirements in a proper form. So um, we, in our um, syllabi, for instance, um, we introduce um, set templates, just or phrase templates, just to have a clear structure of requirements because a requirements document is not a novel and needs to be not, let's say, anytime each requirement should be in a different way form formulated, it should be formulated in the same way. This is quite clear and understandable. And this is something that could easily be checked also afterwards by kind of artificial intelligence. There's also maybe some kind of prompt engineering in the future for um, introducing and uh, letting the artificial intelligence be a kind of persona, so maybe people that are not really accessible and just chatting with the artificial intelligence for certain topics. And I mean, what needs to be considered that this is still a kind of artificial intelligence and that the requirements engineer talking with this tool needs to um, differentiate what is true and what is false. So it's not everything is a given. And I think this is um, also a, a, a nice and critical job in the future for requirements engineers um, to see what is really the truth. 
And this needs to be validated, in my point of view, with real users anyhow. Right. Yeah, we had covered that off on a, a couple of different discussions that we've had around how AI can really help generate some content. Yeah. But what, what you're talking about there is that you need to validate it. You need to make sure it's true. Because exactly. unfortunately, AI tools present information very confidently. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> you can misinterpret, misinterpret that as truth, uh, yeah. whereas it does need to get yeah. double checked. I agree. Yeah, at some point I'll have to tell you about the um, uh, contempt hearing that I am following of an attorney who did who wrote a brief com completely from Chat GPT, including <laughs> sites to cases which did not exist. And when the when the when the judge uh, discovered this, he brought him into court and made him explain why he used this brief without checking any of this information and he was being held on on yeah. uh, you know potential contempt charges so so critical thinking is a really important part of the work that we do whenever we are um, understanding information yeah. so so here's here's another question and we talked a little bit about agile but um, this question was how does requirements engineering align with the agile mindset so less about the agile frameworks more about just the the capabilities and skills around lowercase a agile in my point of view um, many um, principles in agile match with um, principles and also um, we have um, created in, in our syllabus a kind of yeah principles for requirements engineering they match very well because at the end um, when we talk about that common understanding before um, um, documentation. Yes, it's true. I mean, at the end, we need to create a shared understanding also in requirements engineering. And the, or the, the way to document requirements doesn't matter as a kind of temporary document or as a um, document that will be used for, for the implementation is a vehicle to create a kind of shared understanding. And this is also true when we talk about um, the truth um, is, is somehow in the implementation. That's true, but on, at the other end, we first need to identify what is really needed. And I think um, when looking at the agile principles, um, they are, in my point of view, perfectly, mostly fit um, with, um, with the principles in, in requirements engineering as well. Yeah. Very good. So Susan, we're getting close on time here. Is there another question you wanna pop up before we close? We're getting a couple of questions around if there are tools specific to requirements engineering. So are there tools that requirements engineers might need to be aware of? Well, there are plenty of tools outside um, for, for requirements engineering. Um, there's these um, big ones like um, DOS from, from, from IBM. There's this smaller one like Catalyst. And um, maybe there, there today there are also many web-based tools that could be used um, quite, quite, um, quite easily um, without installing um, a bunch of software in your, your companies. Um, if you want to look out, um, may I afterwards can give you um, a link to a website. Um, there is um, there's someone who's not, not from IREP, but there's, there's another website um, I have um, cited in our handbook for requirements management. That's why I know it is some, some time ago. But um, there's, um, this will provide a nice overview of tools and tool categories for requirements engineering. So maybe okay. you can access to the, um, to the as LinkedIn comment or whatever. 
Perfect. Yes, we'll certainly put that in the YouTube description for people to utilize. Yeah, and if we haven't shared it in our comments, um, we've also got um, a link to the IREB website, which has a lot of information, including a way to sign up for your magazine, which is, I think, is a great read if you are uh, a business systems analyst or do more technical uh, technical work with systems. So. I think that's been good. Well, I'm a little disappointed that um, that our comments didn't didn't function well today, but I but I think we handled it. We want to thank everybody for your questions. And you know, if you've got questions and we didn't answer them, well, we might just have to have Stan come back. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> We're always happy to have guests. Thank you again, Stan, for sharing more about requirements engineering today. And um, it's been great to have you. Let's talk about what's going to happen in uh, just two weeks from today. And that is, we're going to talk about strategy analysis. And we have got Laura Patton, who talks about what is strategy analysis in some other forums. And you've seen her here just a couple of months ago. Thanks so much for joining us today. This is the end of our live session, but if you've got questions, you can send us an email at live at IIBA.org or leave us a voice message and we'll answer your question at one of our upcoming broadcasts. Join us.